what a mess. How exactly did the ministers, the regulators and the companies get us into this uh, gas and energy crisis situation? Was it that they couldn't predict that there would be gas price spikes from time to time? Didn't they know that uh, with the absence of storage, relying on LNG tankers in the middle of the Atlantic to necessarily deliver to the UK when others were bidding for the cargoes too? Didn't they know that those wouldn't be secure supplies? Didn't they know when they closed the rough gas storage field that physical gas storage in UK waters is a different game from relying on distant pipelines and LNG shipping. Didn't they know about what Russia was up to and about what the games that were being played between Gazprom, Germany and Europe in respect of Ukraine and the political ambitions that go with that? Did they have no idea that suppliers were not in a fit state to withstand a price shock given a price cap for consumers, which is, after all, a medium-term, long-term contract, and so on. How could they be so asleep at the wheel? Well, they were, and part of the reason for that was that uh, they believed a mantra about competition which was more ideological than practical. Competition good most of the time, yes, competition without regulation, without proper supervision, not so good. So the hapless customer is left with the bills for a bunch of failed supply companies. And behind that too, the customers are picking up what is a a substantial bill for the net zero pathways, all of which they were told weren't going to cost them very much. After all, Weren't we told that doing net zero was, you know, a bargain and we were going to save as much as it was going to cost in additional prices per unit? So it is a good time not to do the ostrich thing and stick your head in the sand, but to stand back and say, okay, time to address the new challenges of fast track decarbonisation in a post North Sea gas world and in a international context, which is a lot less benign than it has been since the fall of the Berlin Wall back in uh, 1990. So instead of simply blazoning it out and saying, well, markets, you know, just suppliers go bust, you know, that's just the way things are. Instead, it would be a good idea to have a look at the immediate causes of the crisis that now confronts us all and to think of the underlying fundamentals and say, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? How do we put the whole energy system on a much more uh, secure and sound basis and one where consumers can rely on a stability and a set of prices which they can actually afford? So there are four immediate causes of this particular crisis and when uh, you're opening your new electricity bill arriving in October with another 10% on top it's worth reflecting on what those causes are. One is Russia. You know Europe depends heavily on Russian gas and Russia has always seen gas as a strategic uh, resource 
a fundamental resource which is there to bargain with and particularly bargain in the old uh, resource relationship with Germany at the core. Who didn't see that the Nord Stream pipeline issue, Nord Stream 2, and the licenses and the operation, the sanctions, wouldn't be matters of high politics? And who didn't see that in the absence of building up the stores of gas in Europe in the normal way over the summer, that just because Russia had a set of long-term contracts, which of course it has honoured with Europe, it wasn't necessarily going to give the short-term gas, which it could have done, which would have headed off this crisis. You know, this is a major piece of geopolitical strategy. And the hapless British sit on the periphery and say, well, it's all Europeans, nothing to do with us. We've left the EU. Well, I've got news. We haven't left the European energy markets. All our suppliers, including Norway, also interact with the European market. And it's pretty hard to shield ourselves in a post-North Sea gas world without storage from the kind of shocks which are currently being administered by the Russians. The second immediate cause is low wind output. It's as if people have woken up to the idea, you know, somewhat surprised that, well, wind is intermittent. Well, it's inherently intermittent. And if you want to have an energy system with a lot more wind, and we probably do, then you have to design the system to cope with the intermittency that goes with having a lot of wind. And we clearly haven't. We've just assumed the market will sort that out. Then there's the third immediate cause, the reason why your bills and my bills are going up immediately, which is that we still price electricity off the marginal cost of the last generating unit necessary to meet the demand. In the jargon, we use the system marginal price and pay that to all the generators. But haven't we moved on? Haven't we gone to a lot of capacity being wind and solar, all with almost zero marginal costs? Nothing in the last few weeks has increased the cost of generating from wind or solar. So why should we pay the price of gas to wind and solar, add that to our bills and then get that 10%, 12% bill increase that's just landed on your doorstep. This is a 20th century way of going about it, where it was mostly coal and then gas in the system, and the wholesale energy market worked rightly then off marginal costs. We've moved on. What we have now is a capacity world, not so much a variable marginal cost energy world, And the price we should be paying should reflect the costs of delivering the power we require. And much of that is capacity cost, not wholesale prices. And frankly, you shouldn't be paying any more for wind today than you paid in the summer. But you are because the market has not been reformed to deal with the consequences. And as a result, there are a lot of people out there who, while you're suffering your increased bill, are making some stupendously good profits. This isn't the way to do a uh, runner energy market for the future for our net zero renewables world. Then after that, there is the particular characteristic of low wind this summer. And that is an unfortunate coincidence of events with the problems on the gas front. 
It's one thing to say gas is intermittent and we should be pricing off the capacity that goes with it and backing it up. It's another thing to say, well, you know what? We should not think through what happens when you have a quiet period. And we genuinely have. And the reason this is going to matter, and it might cause you a lot more pain over the winter and into the spring, is that a low wind period, which might arise in, say, January and February, with a high pressure, cold and dull uh, skies, weather systems sitting over northern Europe, could really give a lot of pain. Remember, we're having this crisis now in September and into the beginning of October, not January and February. So it's not just we have to handle the intermittency from time to time of wind and of solar. It is also that we have to handle big shocks where there are prolonged periods of low wind. That, I think, is going to come to haunt us over this winter because we're not prepared for it. And then finally, the one that all everyone talks about is the one about, well, the suppliers have failed. And frankly, the idea that the Secretary of State trots out, that well, you know, four or five, six of them fail every year as if that's quite normal. Not if you're one of those customers, it isn't. Not if you're picking up the bill for those failures. It is just straightforwardly a failure of regulation to make sure those suppliers backed up their energy contracting with their contractual liabilities for a price cap which stretches six months into the future. They should have been entering into longer term contracts. And that leads us to the more fundamental points that lie behind these immediate causes. One of them is that we have moved to an overwhelmingly spot short-term energy world. It's all about trading and traders and volatile prices and short-term contracting. And you know, you and I don't want that, probably, unless you have great fun every evening sitting at home tracking your energy uh, supplier and trying to trade your energy position. You know, If you want to do that, well, fine. But the rest of us basically want a stable electricity price. We want to pay a fair rate of return. And frankly, we've got better things to do with our evenings. So we have to think about why we've allowed this volatile short-term spot world to happen and why regulators have done nothing about it. And, you know, it's extremely reminiscent of the collapse of Northern Rock and the banking crisis. You know, it just doesn't work. Uh, to have a world where there are no underlying longer-term contracts, no longer-term underlying contractual relationships. Energy world used to be driven by long-term contracts, which we could all rely upon. We have to think quite hard about that framework going forward. We have to think, too, about the fact that it's capacity and zero marginal costs which are driving the future energy markets, not volatile spot markets which have given us the current and immediate problems that we face. In the cost of energy review, I suggested precisely how you could ensure that security supply would be achieved by making sure the capacity was in place and on a path towards decarbonisation at the same time. It was called the equivalent firm power market and of course lots of the lobby interests would realise that if we did it properly, they wouldn't quite be in some of the fortunate positions they find themselves in today. But you and I as customers certainly would be in a better place. We need a strategic reserve too. 
We don't need to pay the spot price of gas for the whole electricity system. We need a standby reserve of gas and other options to back up that wind. These are all practical things we could get on with. And if we would move away from the ostrich approach and think seriously about the shocks to come, we would be getting on with these things. And uh, the Cost of Energy Review, which I wrote, and uh, it was uh, produced back in October 2017 for the government, sets out how to do that. There may be other ways of achieving the same outcomes, but surely the status quo is not going to get us through. And I worry, too, that the ostrich approach, the idea, oh, well, the markets will all sort it out, it'll all be fine, will not only produce more crises in the future and do more harm to customers who will eventually find they not only can't pay but won't pay. But in addition, of course, if you're a minister and you proclaim the market's going to sort it out and you don't address the problems in front of you, that might just come back and whack you over the head pretty hard going forward. So this crisis is predictable. The causes of this crisis are pretty clear and well known. It needs action now, not action sometime in the future. It's probably going to be a very unpleasant winter and we need to get on with a framework that's fit for the 21st century, fit for a world of decarbonisation, fit for a world of renewables, fit for a world of zero marginal cost. And we need to get away from the idea that lots and lots of suppliers, 70 of them plus, are out there providing a better deal for us than something that we had before, which was more stable and more predictable. Let's get away from the ideology and let's get on to the practical. After all, the climate and your energy security and your bills won't wait to see if the ideology will eventually work. Thank you.